Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen, and this is episode 47, Sex and Submission. Today we are doing the first of that series, and this is more of a caution. Uh, This first episode on sex and submission is to try and uh, remind you of things that Christians need to be thinking about on any topic, but it's very important on the topic of sex. You know, wars have been fought over women and sex. Wars have been fought over religion. Humankind uh, is very, very apt to fight over these two topics. And that is precisely what this four-episode series is going to be about, is sex and religion. As Christians, we need to keep at the forefront of our mind what is the core of our faith, which is Jesus Christ, not the religious things that we grew up with, not our religious preferences, not our own personal convictions, because a conviction is different than a biblical doctrine. I may have a conviction that... uh, Eyeshadow is wrong and I'll never wear it, especially if you're a woman, okay? Uh, But nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't dress up and try and make yourself look pretty for special occasions. Or nowhere in the Bible does it say that a woman cannot put on eyeshadow. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that a woman must wear eyeshadow. So you don't have any sort of uh, biblical doctrine that touches on that subject. Now you can talk about modesty, but that is an ambiguous statement. You may think covering your ankles is modest and I may not. There are certain principles in the Bible in regards to pride, but who are we to judge that someone else is wearing mascara and being prideful about it or eyeshadow or lipstick or a dress or whatever? We don't know their heart. You may be prideful when you wear it and have people look at you, but that is not to say that everybody develops pride when they do that. So there are principles in the Bible that will teach things and that will help us with this topic of sex. But there are things that we're going to talk about that the Bible does not say you must do and it does not say you must not do. We need to be very cautious as Christians and keep in mind that we are Christians and the core of our belief is who Jesus Christ is. So if we keep that in mind, then it is a little bit easier to get through topics that are hard for us. We also have to realize that for a lot of people, when it comes to sex, uh, they are going to have certain beliefs, conditions, things that they find unusual or gross, preferences, things that you have grown up always being taught are a sin. And unless you have a Bible verse, a book, chapter, and verse that tells you that, unfortunately, you've probably believed something wrong. There are some people that believe sex is a sin. There are some people that believe you can only have sex in the missionary position. There are some people that, like, we could go on and on and we'll cover some of those things. But we need to understand that if you can't give me a book, chapter, and verse on it, then you're probably wrong. Same goes with me. If I can't give you a book, chapter, and verse on something from the Bible to say this is why this is right or wrong, then I am incorrect. And if the Bible does not give a book, chapter, or verse on a particular 
circumstance or topic, then that is between you and God whether or not you do it. And that brings us to our first caution. Freedom in Christ must come balanced with with caution. So I want you to look up 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12 and be very careful on what you do with it. Now, from the English majority text translation, 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So there are three things in here that are important. Number one, the Bible says that all things are lawful for you, and it's talking in a spiritual sense in regards to Jesus Christ, that you between you and God, are able to do all things. That means it's permissible. Obviously, there are qualifications. The Bible is full of those qualifications on what is lawful and what is not. He's not saying that everything under the sun is lawful. It's okay to murder, rape, and kill. He's saying that all things are lawful for me unless expressly forbidden in the Bible. Number two, all things are not profitable. So it may be lawful, not a sin, for me to go and do something. But it might not be profitable for me personally to do it. So let's go back to the makeup thing, right? Let's say you think makeup is not a sin. Your neighbor thinks it is a sin. Is it profitable for you to put on makeup and go about your day? That depends. What if it gives you a sense of pride in your appearance. And what if it leads to you looking down on your neighbor because they won't wear makeup? Well, now you've committed the sin of pride. You, you've stepped into that territory where you think you're better than somebody else. You are prideful in a bad way. So that would not be profitable for you personally to do that thing that is not sinful to do. The third thing there is while it is lawful to do things, you will not be mastered by that thing. What if putting on makeup becomes a routine that you cannot live without and it takes you several hours a day to do it and you end up spending all of your money on all the different colors and types and expensive makeup to where it becomes a detriment to your family? You literally waste time that you should be spending with your family where you forsake some of your responsibilities because of the time you spend on it and you've become irresponsible with your money to where you spend all of your money on these things to the point that it consumes you maybe you go into debt over it or whatever so you have become mastered by this idea that you have the right as a christian to wear makeup okay now that's a little extreme but my point is When you become mastered by the thing that you are doing just because you're allowed to and you can't tell me it's a sin, well, then you've committed a sin because the Bible says we are not to be filled with anything but the Holy Spirit. You have a freedom in Christ to do many things, yet is it profitable for you? You have to weigh that and you have to honestly judge yourself on how you're doing those things that are not sinful and are you being mastered by it? All right, so that's the first thing. You do have a freedom in Christ for things that are not mentioned in the Bible. You have the freedom. It is lawful. It is not a sin to do things that are not mentioned in the Bible. Then we have 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, specifically when it comes to sex and, and marriage, okay? 
1 Corinthians chapter 7 starts out in verse 1 saying, Now concerning there whereof the things you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Okay, so first of all, he's not saying it's a sin for a man to touch a woman. He says it is a good thing. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. Okay, so fornication is wrong. Fornication is sex outside of marriage. So to avoid that fornication, let every man have his own wife so he can have sex in marriage, be able to touch his wife openly and not sin. And let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Here's point one. Once you are married, your body is not just yours. It belongs to your spouse as a Christian. That means if your spouse needs sex, you have a duty, an obligation, because it's their body, not yours. As a Christian, you must submit to your spouse. Look at the very next verse. Defraud ye not one another except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Do not withhold sex from your spouse unless you both agree to do it for a short time for the purpose of fasting and prayer. And then make sure that you come together again as husband and wife, two shall become one flesh Like it says in Genesis, this means sex. You are going to have sex again, lest Satan tempt you because you have abstained and you have the desire, the God-given desire for sex. This is very important. You don't own your body and you do not own sex in your marriage. A marriage is two people, both with the common goals, And they belong to each other. They've committed to each other. They submit to each other. Their bodies belong to each other. And when you withhold sex, when you use sex in your marriage for other than what was intended, Satan can come in and tempt you and tear that apart. Now, all of those things are very important, but look at the next verse, 1 Corinthians 7, 6. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. He is making a very important point here that this particular doctrine of the Bible is not a doctrine, but his preference. He is saying, it is not God that commanded me to write this. However, God has allowed me to write this. Why? Next verse. For I would that all men were even as myself, meaning single devoted to the purposes of God. And I would wish that you would all stay single to serve God like I have. But I speak this by permission and not by a commandment of God. God is not saying you cannot get married and have sex. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. Very simply, If you need sex so bad, if it's always on your mind, it's better that you get married than that you do something wrong and focus on the lust of the flesh and things like that. It is okay. It is desirable in the Christian life to have sex when you are married. Now, if you continue down 
verse 32 says, But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And this is the crux of the whole matter. He's saying if you're single, you don't have to worry about sex. You don't have sex because it's understood that you're not, it's going to be fornication if you do it before you're married. Okay. But if you are unmarried, you can care, devote your time to things that belong to God only and not worry about someone else. Right. Then the next verse, but he that is married careth for things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. And then it continues. And he says these things over and over again. We should be primarily concerned with the things of God, but when we have a spouse, we must be concerned with the things of our spouse, with this world, with their needs, with material possessions, as far as a house, a bed, food, clothing, etc. You have to be concerned with those things, which then takes away some of the time of your life that could have been spent going out and telling people about God. Now, I want you to go back to verse 4, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4. The wife has not power of, own bo- of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. Go back one more verse, 3. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Mutual submission to each other because your body belongs to your spouse and mutual pleasure benevolence, do benevolence, not withholding sex from the other spouse. That means when they want something, you have an obligation as a spouse, as a Christian spouse, to help with their pleasure, to help fulfill their needs and their desires. And that's the whole point of verse 32 through 35 is that when you have a spouse, because of that imperative that you must take heed to those things and you must help your spouse, you are taking away from your ability to do the things that are for God. Now, it's not wrong. It's actually a good thing. And that's the point of this, is that these are good things and God wants you to do it. However, If the things of God have become less important to you, then it's a problem. If the things of God are now being damaged because of the way that you perceive and handle sex in your marriage, if the testimony of God to unbelievers is now being damaged by the way that you handle sex in your marriage, then it's wrong. Your primary concern should always be the things of God. And alongside of that, when you have a spouse and children, God tells us, and it becomes one of the things of God, that now you must take care of your wife and children and vice versa with the female to the male. So those are two of the things that you need to always keep in mind when it comes to sex and submission in marriage is one, you have a freedom in Christ. Two, 1 Corinthians 7 now says you must take care of the needs of your spouse, mutual submission and pleasure. And another thing that Bible cautions us about is that we must have moderation in all things. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain, speaking of the spiritual race for the crowns that God has for us. 
and every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Temperate means self-restrained. Moderation means avoiding an excess or an extreme. So the context of these Bible verses is that, well, moderation comes from the Greek word uh, epiekis, and that is the Greek word that says moderation, that we translate as moderation. It refers to restraint of your passions, general soberness in your life, being free from excesses. Properly, that word means that which is fitting or suitable or propriety in public. It is a a lack of indulgence to excess, whether in your dress, your makeup, your eating, how much you drink. It's to govern all of your appetites and restrain you so that you can be an example of what is proper for human beings in light of what Jesus Christ wants in the expectation of when Jesus comes back, if he sees me engaging in this current activity, this is proper. It is okay. God will not condemn me or strike me dead for what I'm doing. That's the idea of moderation and temperance. All right, so keep that in mind as well when it comes to sex and and whatever activity you choose to engage in with your spouse is, you know what? If God comes back and sees you having sex with your spouse, you know what? He's going to be pleased because you are fulfilling the needs of your spouse. He gave us sex to be pleasurable. For most animals, it's not. And, And I'm not saying we're animals, but God gave us something special. And and sex is definitely for procreation. If you go back to Genesis and such, but God allows us that pleasure and he gave it to us as a special thing for marriage. And so we have to understand that, that God doesn't look on it as a dirty thing. God created it and then told us to use it to procreate, to have more children. Uh, Again, the Genesis aspect of it that God said, go forth and multiply. God told Adam and Eve, go out and have a lot of sex. Okay. So it's not dirty. It's not wrong. Now in regards to the different things that you can do and that we'll be discussing, we also need to think of the verse that says that whatsoever is not of faith is sinful. So if you have any doubts about whether or not what you're doing is sinful, then whether or not it is a sin It has become a sin to you. And if you engage in it, you are committing a sin against God because you violated your conscience. Romans 14, 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he that condemns not himself in that thing which he allows. And he that doubteth is damned if he eats because he eats not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, specifically speaking about food offered to idols that it covered earlier in the chapter. But happy is he that condemns not himself in the thing which he allows. That goes back to all things are lawful for me. And he that doubts is damned if he eats, not because he ate, but because he eateth not of faith, because he doubts. He thinks it might be a sin and he's doing it anyways. Now you're damned for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
So if the Bible does not address something in principle or in specific fact, like the Ten Commandments, if the Bible does not say something is good or something is bad, let's say driving a car, it doesn't even say whether riding a horse is a sin or not. So this is, that is one of those things that are lawful for Christians to do. You may ride in a car. You may ride on a horse. The Bible does not say it's good or bad. But if you doubt that riding a horse is lawful for you and you think it might be a sin and then you do it anyways, now you have become a sinner for riding a horse or for riding in a car because you thought it might be a sin. You weren't sure you doubted it and you did it anyways. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So when it comes to sex, when it comes to the things you do in your marriage between you and your spouse, if you and your spouse are not sure that it's okay to do, you've checked the Bible. There's nothing in there that says it's wrong. There's nothing in there that says you have to, then go ahead and do it. All right. But you have to keep that in mind that if you have doubts or your spouse has doubts on these things, you should not do it. And here's, here's why we are not supposed to cause a fellow Christian to stumble by flaunting what we do in our sex life or in any, any part of our life. Romans 14, 13 says, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So let's say I have a fellow Christian neighbor who believes that eyeshadow is wrong or riding in a car is wrong is a sin. They firmly believe it and you know it and they've mentioned it before. It would be wrong for you to deliberately flaunt those things in front of your neighbor. Would it be a sin for you to put on eyeshadow in the privacy of your home and to go out and, and enjoy a night with your spouse, you know, at a restaurant or, or seeing a play or whatever you want to do? Is that a sin? No, it's not a sin. But if you make sure that you put on eyeshadow in your car, in the driveway with your window down and when your neighbor is out, because you want your neighbor to see that you have the freedom to do it and they don't. Now it's a sin. You've put a stumbling block in their way. If you deliberately get in your car, honk the horn for your family to get in the car because you are wanting your neighbor to know that you're in your car. Or when you buy a new car, you go to that neighbor deliberately and you, you, and you pridefully tell them of your new car when you know that they think it's a sin to be driving in a car, you have put a stumbling block in their way because they know you're a fellow Christian. They see you doing something and not being punished by God for it. And then they begin to doubt their conscience. And then they may end up doing what they feel is a sin because they see you doing it. And now they've sinned against God and against their conscience because they have doubts and it's your fault. You led them to it. That's what that verse means. Romans 14, 13. Look up these verses and I want you to think about these things when we're talking about sex, because it may be perfectly acceptable for you and your spouse to, you know, do sex the way that you do it. But if you flaunt it in front of fellow Christians who, you know, disagree you are in danger of leading them into sin, creating a stumbling block for them. And now you have sinned by leading a fellow Christian into sinning against their conscience. 
And that's why these things are dangerous because a lot of things about sex are not explained in the Bible. A lot of things about the freedoms that we have to do things in Christ are not explained in the Bible. And as human beings, then we, we see that as a license to kill and do whatever we want without ramifications. Well, that's not true. So as we go into this, these topics of sex and submission, it is very important that everything we talk about, you keep in mind, we do have freedom in Christ, but not all things are profitable and we cannot be mastered by the things that we do. We have to keep in mind 1 Corinthians 7, mutual pleasure and submission with our spouse, because that is one of the things of God, and we must be concerned with the things of God. We have to keep in mind moderation in all things, temperance, propriety. If Jesus comes back when you are in the midst of what you are doing, is he going to be pleased that you and your spouse are taking care of each other's needs and desires? And then your conscience, if you have doubts, if your spouse has doubts, don't do something if you're not sure. And we must not flaunt our freedoms in front of the world and in front of other Christians and cause them to stumble. Remember that our reputation before the world is really representing Jesus Christ. And if you deliberately do things that you know cause problems that will put a stain on the name of Jesus Christ, then you are sinning. So next week, we're going to get into the difference between men and women's view on sex. It's going to be fun. It's going to be hopefully enlightening. Then we'll get down into the nitty gritty, which is going to be the submission and what is actually allowed sexually for a Christian. As always, you can email me, angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. I will personally respond and maybe incorporate your views or your questions into the podcast. And until next time, may God bless you.